You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, before we get to the popular Chris Sims of Pro Football Talk, here is Mike McCarthy. He had the press conference yesterday, the Cowboys head coach, and they're still discussing that last play. Here's how he described it. As far as Dak sliding, giving the ball to the center, the center can spot the ball. The receiver can spot the ball. Uh, so the opinion of you can't spot the ball is not correct. Our guys are trained to spot the ball exactly on the referee spots. You know, obviously the umpire has to come in. He, all he has to do is touch it. We're in a 3-2-1 situation. You snap the ball. So our threshold in that situation, based on the plays, is 13 seconds. You know, so we were 14 seconds, so we're, we're clearly within our range. And our thought process there is we have two options. We were looking for a quick throw or the check to the draw. That's the right call based on our preparation. We just got to really look at the, you know, the mechanics and the timing of that too. So it's a 13-second threshold is the call. At 14 seconds, it's, in my view, the right call. Okay, you had one second margin of error, wiggle room. What the hell are you talking about? If it's 17, 18 seconds, okay. Plus, you didn't know what the official's uh, rule uh, was. That, that what you know, what was the role that he was playing? You didn't even make way for him. Like, come on in. You got to touch the ball. Let's go. You blocked him. Oh man, Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, and of course, Football Night in America. Haven't talked to you since that play, but it, just explain the logic. I know Mike McCarthy's trying to protect Dak Prescott. Uh, you know, I was also told that two plays were called that there would have been a pass right. play and then there would have been the draw on that because on the run, one of the wide receivers is going out for a pass. He's not even blocking. Yeah. So No, no. Right. I, I'm trying to understand here. We did, was yeah, it the I, right I, call? I think you you hit on it. You, you said some really good things right there. It, 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 you know, again, he's Mike McCarthy's not wrong and that the referee can just touch it and go. But, you know, there's things in that process. My history is this. Can you get a playoff in that situation with 12, 13, 14 seconds? Yes, you can. But I'm not sure you can get a 17-yard rushing attempt up the middle off in, that, in 14 seconds. And to me, with any team I've been around, and, you know, whether it's John Gruden or the New England Patriots and Josh McDaniels, the threshold for a play for anything, let's say, over 10 yards to be safe, to like your point, to where we're not going, oh, my gosh, we might have 0.8 seconds of wiggle room here or one second of wiggle room is 17 seconds. That's how I was always coaching those situations. And I think that holds true. You know, if Dak Prescott slides 10 yards earlier, five yards earlier, fine, that'll be okay. You know, if he just dumps off a little slant over the middle, let's just say to Amari Cooper, boom, he gets it. He goes down. Nobody's run all over the field. They're expecting to clock it right there where he catches the ball. Okay. 14 seconds going to work. 17 yard rushing gain. No, I don't know about that. And then what it comes into play, too, is like you're talking about, just the process and how they did it. You roll out the red carpet for the referee. I don't know what Dak Prescott was looking at necessarily in that situation. And with that type of play, too, the touch spot to me is questionable as well as far as McCarthy is explaining it. Because, again, Dak Prescott started the slide on the 26-yard line. 
The Cowboys decided to spot the ball on the 23, right? They gave themselves three yards. Like, oh, we're the Cowboys. We'll just give ourselves three yards. How dare they want to spot the ball in the correct place? So there was those issues as well. And even within that, the referee who did a good job hustling down there and trying to help out the Cowboys, Dak Prescott runs into him. Man, he was wrong in the fact that he didn't even spot the ball in the right spot. He was. The whole Cowboy team is offsides, really, too. So to me, again, not a bad call. It's just a process of how they went about it that I think is a a little skeptical at this point. All right, let's move to the playoff teams. You have more confidence in Ryan Tannehill to win a game for the Titans or Jimmy Garoppolo to win a game for the Niners? Uh, Ryan Tannehill, 100%. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, just you're you're saying like the ball... A hundred percent. Yes, I do. A hundred percent. There's no wiggle room. I'm a hundred percent confident that I'm going Tannehill there. Um, I like Jimmy G. We know it, but I mean, come on, come on. We all know it's a flip of the coin sometimes at the end of the football game with him. Just like last week, it's 23 to seven. Brandon Ayuk's wide open. There's nobody in the screen. They're going to put the game away right there. He misses the throw, the interception itself. It was a five-yard crossing route. He did not get the ball within five feet of the receiver. He couldn't even get a hand on it. Interception. So that I worry about. Tannehill doesn't do stuff like that. He has great control of the football, you know, and he's a really accurate thrower. So I mean, I think you're asking me like four minutes left in the game, yeah. what quarterback would I take? I'm taking Tannehill. And I wonder how much can you? How much do the Bengals expect to see Derrick Henry this weekend? I, I think they got to prepare for we're going to see the full effect of him okay. uh, just to get your mind right. You know, and, and of course, if he is there and it is the full effect of him, you got to make sure you got your game plan in the right way and the, the ducks in a row as far as stopping that aspect. So I would approach it if I'm the Bengals to go, it's going to be Derrick Henry time. Let's just get our minds ready for that. And if it's not him, great. We dodged a bullet. We don't have to deal with him that much. Great. That's awesome. But I would be more worried about that aspect than not. And yes, he's, hey, he's a game changer. We know that he's, he's. First ballot Hall of Famer, running back, in my opinion, one of the all-time greats, and he can break an 80-yard run, or when there's nothing there to be had, he can still get three or four yards. And to me, the other thing that's going to really be a jump-off thing, jump-off spot, is he's going to open up their play-action pass game. They want to be like the 2003-2004 Patriots. They want to run the ball, play defense, Brady makes some clutch big throws for us in some big moments. They're going to ask Tannehill to do that. I think that's the way they want to play. Uh, I'm excited for that game. I have uh, pleaded with the audience, football fans, the media. We got to come up with a better nickname than Joe Cool for Joe Burrow. That's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair to Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. right. You're right. And you've said Joe Cool. You you said this on uh, Football Night I in know. America. That's yeah. that you should be ashamed of yourself. I, you know, you're right. I mean, good for you to slap me around a little bit. Yeah. Get on me a little. <laughs> yeah. I, we do have to go. It is disrespectful to the original Joe cool. I mean, Burrow is he's cool. So it's just easy to go with that. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm not that creative. Well, I'm waiting for one. Broadway Joe. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I, I don't one, know what right. street he lives on in Cincinnati, <laughs> but I hope it's not Broadway. Cause it'd be like, yeah, Broadway Joe. No, you can't have that one either. No, you can't have that. You're right. We can't infringe on copyright, you no, know, as no. far as great nicknames that way. But uh, one thing I always call them is 
uh, the, a slippery sob. That's what I do call him. The natural. That's another nickname. You I can't use for take me. that one either. I know. Okay, that's just a movie. It's not a real person. So I thought maybe I could go there with that one. But something along those lines, because man, I love watching Joe Burrow. I love that offense. And even though I think people are disrespecting the Titans, the Titans, their pass defense, this offense coming to the town, who's got every play in the book and talent. Uh, I think that could be an interesting game just because of Burrow and 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 that offense and how they run things. Give me your quarterback ratings. I always have great respect for how you rank quarterbacks. Those who are still in the playoffs, give me these eight quarterbacks and how you who's one and how Ooh. they're playing right now. Right. Okay. So number one yes. is. Man, you're putting me under the gun here. I think I go right now. And I understand Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of football. I'd probably put Josh Allen okay. number one right. right now. Right. I'd probably go Allen one. Right. I would. You know, Allen and Mahomes, even though, you know, even Mahomes didn't have his greatest year, to me are just, they're, they're so dangerous in these situations. You know, they're like Rodgers was, let's say, four or five years ago. Rodgers needs, again, now a little protection. He can't make the magic happen as far as extending plays like he used to. You know, remember the old days? He used to sit back there and hop and wiggle around and move and make people miss. And then, oh, if I got to break the pocket, I will. You know, that's kind of Mahomes and Allen now. You can't contain them in the pocket. Put a quarterback spy on them. Great. I watch it all the time. It doesn't do jack diddly squat. So there's just so many plays where I look at and I go, the defense won this play, and these two damn guys still got a 20-yard gain. And that's where they're amazing. So I'd probably go Allen 1, Mahomes 2, Rodgers 3, Brady 4, just over Burrow 5, Stafford 6, Tannehill 7, Garoppolo 8. You okay. okay with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Josh Allen threw the perfect game. In the yes. game against the Patriots, that's as good a football as you could play. And Mahomes, take away the strip sack or the, exactly. you know, the, the strip six, he yeah. threw five touchdown passes in less than 11 minutes. Yeah. Right. I've never seen anything like the Kansas City Chiefs. They're like the Golden State Warriors from a few years ago. You go, oh, this team's up by 10, and they're controlling the game. And all of a sudden you look and you go, what? The Warriors are up by 20? <laughs> yeah. And they, they, it's four minutes later. How did this happen? I've never seen a team that can just catch on fire like the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm really excited for that one. To me, I think we're getting close to this is the modern-day Manning-Brady is Allen versus Mahomes. Mm. You know, Mahomes, we know, is – in, in all, probably greater than Josh Allen. We know he's won the Super Bowl. He's, you know, won two AFC championship games. But I will say this. Josh Allen has outplayed Patrick Mahomes the last two seasons in the NFL. He's the greatest one-man show in the sport right now. I mean, oh, hey, it's third and two. We need a first down. Oh, just let's pull two guards and give the ball to Josh Allen, and he'll run up in there and run for a 40-yard gain like he's Cam Newton. Oh, now we need him to scramble or be precise with passing. He's got it all, just like Mahomes, except maybe a little bit more size uh, and ability to, to move the chains with his legs and, and a traditional running uh, form there. He's Chris Sims from Football Night in America, Pro Football Talk Live co-host with Mike Florio. Yeah, I there were... There were times when I didn't want Josh Allen or any of my quarterbacks to run. Now when I watch Buffalo, I realize he has to run, and he's yes. such a valuable weapon. The quarterback with the most pressure this weekend is? I think it's, uh, oh, Aaron Rodgers. Yep. I think that's the one I would look at. Uh, again, he's, he, he is very legacy aware. But what, legacy what are we aware. talking about if the Packers lose to the Niners? If the Packers lose to the Niners – 
we're going to just hear all the same stuff we always hear from people who want to hate or be negative about Aaron Rodgers. Oh, he lost a big game again. He can't win the big one. They're the number one seed, and they lost at home to the 49ers, which I understand. I mean, those that that's legitimate. I get that. You know, I know, again, I, again, there's a few times I'd say, hey, the Seattle NFC Championship game, that wasn't his fault. Come on. You know, last year certainly wasn't his fault either. Did some really good things. Outplayed Brady. We know that. But there's been other games where they, the Falcons and, and the 49ers the first time around there a few years ago. Yeah, it wasn't good. You know, this is big not only, I think, for him personally, but just in the scope and the eyes of the normal common football fan. Uh, if they lose this, everyone looks at them as the Super Bowl contender. And I'm one that's been saying, I don't think the Packers are a Super Bowl team. I don't know if that necessarily means I'm not going to pick them this week, mm. but I think the 49ers pose some real issues for them. I bet you when they saw they had to play the 49ers, they went, ah, oh, man, I wish we were playing the Rams. They match up better with them. You know, and, and that's where it's going to be scary. And I would not be shocked that the 49ers went up there and upset Green Bay this weekend. The Rams will upset the Buccaneers because of their offense or their defense? Yeah, it's their defense has the number of the Bucs offense. And, and the fact of the Bucs, there's very few defenses they don't actually match up well and you go, oh, advantage Bucks. But the Rams are one of those where I go, oh, I don't know. There might be an actual advantage here for the Rams and one of the few teams. Every team's got their kryptonite. Bucks so big and powerful up front. The Rams are all small and size predicated. I mean, their defensive tackle, Aaron Donald, is 280. Gaines is only 290. They don't have those big space eaters like Avita Vea or Ndamukong Sue. But that poses problems for a bigger, lumbering offensive line for the Bucs, who have, not, who have shown in the last two years their inability to you know, kind of get get hold of these guys in the run game, and they're able to beat them in, in the pass rush as well. So I guess I would look at that as, again, it goes back to something we talk about a lot with Brady. You can get there with the forward, disrupt him with that. We know the one weak part of his game is he can get a little flinchy in the pocket. But here's one other aspect, Dan, that I think is real interesting too, because I do think the Rams are going to be able to move the ball on this Bucks defense. Can they protect Stafford well enough, and especially without, without Whitworth there? The D line for the Bucks is healthy. I think the Rams pose some real problems for the Bucks, but I do worry about their ability to block all four of those guys. That's probably the weak spot of the team, in my opinion, with the Rams, is the offensive line. Coached well, they do things the right way. It's just not overly talented, and this is a game I'd be worried about them getting smashed a little bit up front. I'll leave you with this. Tell me why Jim Harbaugh would leave Michigan, and let's say it is the Raiders. Why would he leave now? I think he just wants to be in the NFL. I think that's where I look at it. Uh, I think he looks at the NFL and goes, wait, that maybe suits me better. You know, I don't have to talk and be weird in recruiting kids or parents because I'm weird socially anyways in Jim Harbaugh. Uh, and I think that's his lifelong dream. Uh, I do. I think it's to win a Super Bowl, do that. But again, like the one thing I – I don't hear anything from the people I know in football, and you know I know some people, to know that there's legitimate interest for, any, for Jim Harbaugh. To me, I think he's putting this out there. He's fishing. He would like to leave Michigan, I, I guess, to go back to the NFL and, and just have that lifestyle. Again, college is a different game. It's less X's and O's. It's more about talking, conversations with parents, kids, managing a situation. And I don't know. I could never do that, and I can imagine him getting, getting sick of that as well. Is it the right move for the Raiders? That's questionable. 
you know, the Raiders have some things there about their coaching staff that I would be real careful about letting go of Rich Passaccia and the rest of that crew there. Uh, like you watch the Raiders. I watch the Raiders. I don't sit there and go, oh my gosh, they're so talented. Man, did they underperform this year? They should have been in the championship game or the Super Bowl. No, not at all. You know, Basaccia, I do think is worthy of being a head coach. Greg Olson's a good offensive coordinator. Gus Bradley does a good job with that defense. He invented the Seattle scheme. I wouldn't just throw that out the window mm. for anybody. And, you know, yeah, and, and not for Jim Harbaugh, where, again, I know after three years, everybody gets sick of him. You know, he treats people not the greatest at times. He didn't treat me good. I don't like him. I root for against him all the time. I don't like Jim Harbaugh. You know, it's, it's Wait, personal. what did Harbaugh do to you? Oh, he was such a jerk. One of my first interviews I ever had at Bleacher Report, um, he he stopped the interview like after my third question because I asked him about Colin Kaepernick's contract situation. And he <laughs> took off his mic and said, see, I'm done with this and tell your dad I said hi. And that was it. So from that point on, I root against I root for Ohio State always and root against Jim Harbaugh. Screw him. But he was thoughtful to say, tell your dad, hi. Yeah, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. And then I know too many stories about, again, everything. Coaches that have worked for him. Hey, he went to Michigan. He took the job. He didn't even tell any of his coaches in the San Francisco staff. He just called them. and was like, hey, I'm in Michigan. And I'm staying here. You guys figure it out yourselves. Oh, great, coach. Thanks for being such a great leader. So it's stuff like that where I'm uh, very loving of John Harbaugh. I think he's the man and has the Midas touch with people. Jim, not so much. Could you take Harbaugh? Would I take Harbaugh? Could you take him? Yes, I can. Right now at this, I mean, he's a, he's a scary SOB, and he's weird, and he's tough. There's no doubt. But he's not taking me right now at my age. Okay, no, who not. are you guys taking? Let me ask the Danettes. Paulie, I mean, I'm going Harbaugh. Harbaugh's, <laughs> Thanks, Harbaugh's got crazy strength. Like he he yeah. he would do whatever it would take. He would chew off his arm to get out of you know one of your. I, your I am the guy that lost the spleen and kept playing, and that, I got that's... crazy strength too. All right, and oh, yeah, I don't back down deal. from anybody. Boo! Yeah. You lost a yeah. spleen. Right? Come right, on, right. Paulie. Yeah. Paulie yeah. lost an eye. Paulie's got <laughs> one good eye. Paulie, who do you oh, take? Yeah, Sims the eye. Yeah, th this is tough. I mean, Harbaugh, Sims or Harbaugh? Harbaugh's probably got two spleens, knowing him with all that milk he's <laughs> digesting. You know what? Uh, Chris is younger. He's got a lot more reach, but he would have to kill Harbaugh for the fight to be over. And I don't. Chris doesn't mean like that. <laughs> okay, Seton, you're right. I don't want to kill anybody. Seton, you got Sims <laughs> or Harbaugh? Uh, you know, I've met uh, Jack Harbaugh, and I don't see any way that his son is losing a fight. Wow, have you met Phil Sims? I mean, have you met him? Well, that is true. You know, because I'm making Phil over Jack all day long. Well, no, I would now, take I would prime, take your anytime. dad. Okay, your dad's yeah. your dad's a tough guy. Uh, yeah. Fritzy, you taking Sims or Harbaugh? I got to go, Chris. He's an extremely nice guy, but I have a feeling he can flip that switch and find that dark side of kind of uh, losing. It I definitely somebody. can. I'm the temperamental person in my family or out of all my friends. You guys just haven't seen it. But now that you pick so many of you picked Harbaugh, you're going to see it next time I come up there. <laughs> I'm going to see it. I'm going to put all your asses in a headlock and we'll see. And you'll understand what, you're, what we're talking about here. <laughs> have a great weekend, Chris. Too, man. Thank Say, you, man. Uh, be good, you jerks, Thank all of you. you. You're all Thank jerks you. this time. Thank you, buddy. You know, if we get Sims when he's on his medicinal marijuana trip, then I'm okay. He's more chill. We can take him, you know. When he's going to the dispensary, I think With we can all take all our asses in a headlock. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app 
by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Booger McFarland joins us on loan from the Mothership. NFL and college football analyst won two Super Bowls. And uh, you can see him throughout the day and night on SportsCenter and the uh, the specialty shows that they have. Booger, thanks for joining us. How are you feeling today? Doing good, DP, man. How you doing, buddy? Doing okay. Doing okay. Um, I was curious, when you know, when you watch these games. Play- you know, usually I start there, and what they do is very noticeable, especially when you have a premier player there like an Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox or Indominus Sue, somebody like that. That'll catch my eye initially. But if you're going to really follow the game and learn the game and study the game, you kind of have to morph out and, and, and look at the other parts of the play. Tom Brady said that it's rare when he gets a roughing the passer call. And it feels like Tom is maybe officiated different than other quarterbacks. Did you ever feel that way that you could do certain things with one quarterback, but you couldn't get away with that with somebody else? Yeah, that's life. I mean, it's just kind of, that's kind of hot. DP, that's how it goes in life, man. Like we all aren't afforded, afforded the same luxuries based on who we are and our relationships and who we know. And, you know, if our name is a little bit bigger and a little bit more stature, then we can get away with other things. Uh, football is just a microcosm of life. Like, it, that's no different than what we deal with every day. So, yeah. Uh, you is know, Brady you treated look, differently? Yeah, well, listen, and he should be. Like, if you really just look at it, he's earned the right to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, when you've played in this game for a long time and you got pellets on the wall, You've earned the right to get the benefit of the doubt. And so he is, and I have really no problem with it. Yeah, but I always wondered about this, that Michael Jordan would get all the calls. Well, Michael Jordan didn't need all the calls, but for some reason, the best players get the calls. It's the guys who are the marginal players that need a call, not not the star power guy. I know we want to see the stars be stars, but I, I talked to a former player in the NBA, and he said if Mike – Michael Jordan went down the lane. Somebody was going to get whistled for a foul, whether you fouled him or not. And he said, there'd be time when I, you know, I thought he was called for a foul. Didn't even touch Michael Jordan. He said, but he was Michael. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair, but I think the reason it happens is this, is that we're used to those great players doing great things. And if and when they do not do great things, then something must happen. <laughs> like, like these officials are only human also. And so if, if I'm sitting back there and Tom Brady just sailed a ball five yards over somebody's head and I just happen to glance up and I look back down and Brady's on the ground and he's, he gives me the hands up sign like, hey, did you see that? I'm probably going to give him the benefit of the doubt more cases than not. Let's look back on the teams that lost this last weekend. I asked this yesterday, the team that lost in the playoffs that has the best chance of advancing further next year. The Patriots won our poll question. I want to know if you agree with that, that they have the better chance of all these teams of going further next year. Well, if if you're saying the Patriots, then obviously you believe in Mac Jones, which I do. I, I think he was really the, the steal of the draft to get a franchise quarterback with that much upside. I think he was drafted at 15. You must really believe in him, number one. Two, you must think that they're going to get a lot more athletic and a lot faster on defense. Because if you saw the difference between the Bills and the Patriots, the speed factor, was it was a glaring difference. Wow. I don't know if they're going to do that, so I'm not going to say the Patriots. I would probably say the Cowboys, and everybody's going to say, well, are they changing coaches? Are they changing this? Are they changing that? 
they're they're probably not based on the reports that have come out, but they're just so talented. And, and it, it's one of the reasons why they're the most disappointing team this season. Would you change so coaches, talented. though, Booger? No, I wouldn't, because at some point you have to have continuity uh, to continue to climb the mountain. Changing coaches is not going to do anything but, but solve the moment. It doesn't solve the problem of the discipline of the players. And so, yeah, we can change coaches. And as fans and broadcasters and people who have shows, it gives us good fodder. But at the end of the day, does that make your team better? The problem with the Cowboys is not the coach. The problem is the coach, I don't think, is empowered to the level that a coach needs to be because of the owner, the GM, the family that owns the Cowboys. And so you run into that situation where you can change the coach and you can bring in this tough disciplinarian, Jimmy Johnson, and, 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 and uh, that of, uh, of the likes. But we saw how it ended with Jimmy Johnson because Jimmy Johnson, the disciplinarian, the guy who runs the show, ultimately got a little bit more shine than the owner, and we all know he didn't like that. <laughs> if Jim, if uh, Jerry Jones had hired a GM, a true GM, 20 years ago, yeah. fin- finish that sentence. Then the Cowboys would probably have two to three more rings. And Jerry Jones would not be as popular as he is now, but I do think the the value of the Cowboys franchise would be at the very minimal where it's at now. So this doesn't necessarily come down to a, how do I make my business better? Like I always look at NFL teams like businesses, like Chick-fil-A or Bank of America or some corporate company. How do we make them better? This isn't about that because the Cowboys are the preeminent franchise when it comes to value and worth and, and, and how we look at them. This is about one thing, Dan. This is about control. Hey, this is my team. I'm going to run it my way and do what, it, do what with it how I please. And when you're a billionaire, uh, I'm assuming I wouldn't know that. Maybe you can tell me. Uh, you get to do what, what it is that you like to do with your billion dollars. And Jerry's doing that. So, Dan, considering the fact that there are two of us on this call and one of us is a billionaire, you tell me, <laughs> how do billionaires treat their money? Uh, they just, they, I just keep all of it to myself. Very, <laughs> very cautious in, in, in what I do. But, you know, but Jerry's ego, like he wants the, like getting the credit is so important for him. Yeah. And, and as a result, he doesn't see what the bottom line could be. And that is we could be winning championships. And, and I know that they've done well in the draft. Michael Parsons fell to them. I don't know if they wanted him. I thought that he was the impactful player in the draft. They didn't want Dak Prescott. They wanted Connor Cook. Um, they wanted Jerry wanted Johnny Manziel. Like there are these moments where they have benefited. It's, but it's not by design. You're right. They've benefited. And, you know, Jerry, ultimately, I, I think Stephen has been good for Jerry because I think Stephen has given him a little bit of balance. You know, we all know who Jerry liked. And, and thankfully, Stephen's there to say, hey, I, I know you like this guy. Quite frankly, you like everybody, but we can't draft them all. How's this going to make our team better? So I give Stephen a lot of credit. I give Will McClay. I give him a lot of credit also, a guy in that personnel department who, who helps. But Jerry is Jerry has to be reined in and told no. I'm sure Jeff Bezos has to be reined in and told no at some point. Like when you reach a certain level of, 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 of monetary value and economic status, you have to have people in your life that are willing to say no, not just yes, man. Yeah. And I think over the course of years, Jerry is, Stephen has been developed or he's developed to be that. I just think Jerry ultimately has the final say so. And, and until he relinquishes that, 
that part of the general manager hat, then I think the Cowboys are going to be in a position because you know as well as I know, a team that's the most penalized team in the league, that is a reflection of the coach. Well, you, that means you need a tougher coach. That means you need a coach that's going to emphasize because you are what you emphasize, no different in life. And so Mike McCarthy has to change personality-wise, but guess what? He's the exact personality that Jerry wants because he can – and I, I'm not saying that he's telling telling uh, Jerry's telling Mike what to do and what to what to say at practice, but ultimately Jerry knows that Mike can kind of beat to the drum that he says beat to. We're talking to Booger McFarland, ESPN NFL analyst. Um, the most dangerous quarterback left in the playoffs is Josh Allen, and he's got to be um, because this team is so quarterback centric. They can't do anything offensively without the quarterback. And you say, well, Booger, isn't that every team? Uh, I present to you the Tennessee Titans. Because if Derrick Henry shows up and they, and they run the football the way they can run it, they really don't need Ryan Tannehill to do anything except, hey, remember we're wearing blue jerseys and every now and then throw it to the guy wearing the blue jerseys. Let's take, for instance, the L.A. Rams. When they run the football the way they ran it the other night, Dan, against Arizona, Matthew Stafford was a secondary part of the game plan. So Josh Allen has to be the focus because he's going to run it 10 to 15 times this weekend, and he's probably going to throw it another 40 to 50 times. And then that might not be enough because of the guy he's going against is arguably the most talented guy we've ever seen at the position in Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, Josh Allen is that dude. You think Mahomes is more talented than Aaron Rodgers? Um, yes, I do, just because – like Aaron is gifted, and we've seen Aaron do it for a long time. But Mahomes is doing things. Maybe he's got a he's got a a, a flair for the dramatic a little bit with the no look passes and some of this stuff. Like he's a showman, and I, I think that that in, in in large part will give a lot of people the same uh, thought process when it comes to that. Like I will put Mahomes just a little bit uh, above Aaron, especially now. Now Aaron at his peak. And there probably wasn't what. But right now, yeah, I think Mahomes is, is the most talented guy in the sport right now. Josh Allen, 29 passing touchdowns under pressure since 2020. First among all quarterbacks. Yeah. So, that's you know why? Why? Because he's 6'5", 245, and he knows even when pressure is coming, it doesn't affect him. Because remember – Remember Dan, and, and, and this goes great because we just got through celebrating Big Ben and what he was and first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a modern-day Big Ben that's as, that's as athletic as um, some of these running quarterbacks. Like, I guarantee you Josh Allen is probably a 4'6", four, 4'7 four, guy. Like, he can run. And so imagine Big Ben as tough as he was to tackle in the pocket, but now when he breaks the pocket, he can run 4'5", four, 4'6", and get first down. That's what Josh Allen is. So it doesn't surprise me because he's not afraid of pressure. He's not afraid of being hit. He's not afraid of being tackled. Most quarterbacks who are afraid of being hit wilt under pressure. That's why you always say blitz the quarterback. Look at Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford shrivels under pressure. We saw Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray Monday night, he shriveled under pressure. Tom Brady, if you blow on him, he'll fall down. <laughs> like it doesn't, those guys, those guys don't want to get hit. Josh Allen doesn't care. You never got Brady, did you? Uh, no, I never sacked Brady. I pressured him a few times. I knocked him upside the head. He felt me. He probably complained to Walt Anderson or somebody <laughs> or Ed Hockley about me, but no, nah, I never got him. 
in your last five career games, you had four sacks, including one in the Super Bowl on Rex Grossman. That was the yeah. on, only sack by a Colts player in the Super Bowl. That doesn't really count if you sacked Rex Grossman. Come on. What do you mean it doesn't count? It's on the, on, on the statistic sheet. How are you going to take I mean, technically it okay. does. N- technically. No, 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 no. If, if, if you're going to take that sack away, then you best, sure as hell better take Michael Strahan's sack of Brett Favre away. Should T.J. Watt be the all-time single-season leader? I don't know. You tell me since you're taking sacks away this morning. Evidently, you, <laughs> evidently, me Friday's not coming soon enough for you. Look, if you were in studio, I wouldn't be saying this. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. Uh, no, T.J. Watt shouldn't be the all-time sack leader. Regardless of how Michael Strahan got it, you got to give him credit for it, and we can think of it what we may, which I think a lot of us think it was given to him. He still got it, and there's nothing wrong with that. So T.J. Watt, had several opportunities, and I'm sure if you go back, we used to do this thing called, uh, at the end of every year, our D-line coach used to make a, a reel, and he called it close but no cigar, which is every sack that we should have had, could have had, but we didn't get. And I guarantee you when T.J. Watt goes back and, and looks at his close but no cigar reel, he's going to see another 10 sacks. Booger, great to talk to you as always. Have fun this weekend with the games, and thanks for joining us. DP, anytime, always. And, and I see Al Michaels over your right shoulder with a nice little signed picture. At some point, my goal is I'm going to send you a picture, and hopefully I, I achieve a level of status where oh. you can put my picture oh. um, in the studio at some point. You're, you're, you know what? I'm looking at the video. Rex Grossman's falling down. You're not even really sacking him. I mean, you just kind of fell no. on him, Booger. Come on. Damn. Dan, I'm, I'm going to preserve our friendship by saying goodbye now. All right. Thank you, Booger. And send me that autograph picture. That's uh, the great Booger McFarland. We'll come back. Phone calls coming up next year, Dan. He's going to beat one of us up. Yeah. I know. Yeah, he's not going to hurt you. Well, he's got to go through you guys to get to me. That'll be no problem. I know. I am watching the clip. Like Rex Grossman starts losing his feet on the turf, yeah, I know. And, yeah. and Booger just shows up at the right time. Well, it was raining down there in South Florida, wasn't it? sort of it? built like the Bears line, too. Yes. So yeah, who couldn't get true. through? Yeah, come on. That doesn't count as a full sack. <laughs> that was the worst Super Bowl because as a Bears fan, you, you get the opening kickoff. You're like, hey, we, oh, yeah. we got a shot here. And Tony Dungy said, I'm not kicking. I'm, I'm not going to kick to Devin Hester. And then he kicked to him. And then he ran, ran it back for a touchdown. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Mike check. Mike check. Do you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game? What's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. Let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one-on-one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To make your next move your best move. And tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever get your podcast from bill orham covers the lakers for the athletic he's been a busy guy um if somebody didn't see the game last night how would you describe how the lakers played well i think at the end of the game i tweeted that it was a dreadful result and 
you know, it's, it, it's, it's really an accumulation of a lot of things. The Pacers aren't very good. They'd lost 10 of their last 11 games. The Lakers had a 15 point lead in the first quarter. They got 30 points from LeBron James. And, you know, I'd say Russell Westbrook wasn't doing the things that we usually think of as being bad Russ things. He only had one turnover. He shot four of six from three, but he still ended up having a terrible night from the field. He was not finishing around the rim and he ends the night on the bench. Something we haven't seen this year with Frank Vogel, who's kind of, you know, really coaching for his job as we reported earlier this week on kind of a night to night basis, you know, throwing the kitchen sink at the Pacers, which in this case was not playing the the highest, the, you know, the $44 million guy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand if this is fixable bill, because it feels like, okay, get rid of the coach. That doesn't fix effort. And a, and a lot of what I saw or what I see on defensively is there's no effort. Uh, so how do you fix this? Can you fix this this season? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's what the, the front office is weighing. You know, what do you sacrifice this season in the name of, you know, pursuing a championship when that might already be lost with this team? And, and you know, you do see coaching changes sort of shake up a, a team psyche, give them a kickstart, you know, a kick in the butt, whatever. Um, but we've also seen the Lakers uh, play for David Fisdale this year. They went one and four with him when, when Frank Vogel had COVID. And that's maybe an unfair uh, way of judging David Fisdale as a potential replacement, given all the all that was going on with replacement players. But I do think the Lakers sort of got a, a glimpse of what that might look like. And if they weren't, you know, um, you know, if they weren't really excited about that, you know, maybe that gives them pause on making a change. And, you know, last the last uh, previous two years, Jason Kidd was on the bench and that was somebody the Lakers held in really high regard. Somebody who, um, if not for some of the baggage, might have been a candidate for the head coaching job in, in 2019. Um, instead, he kind of comes to the Lakers and rehabs his image. He would have been a likely, he would have been a really obvious replacement if there was a midseason firing while he was on the bench. It's less obvious now uh, with David Fisdale um, and, and and Phil Handy and Mike Penberthy as the lead assistants. So it's really, what what do you want to sacrifice this year in the pursuit of something uh, short term when you know, I don't like, 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 like you, Dan, you know, this doesn't seem like something that is just going to, um, is going to change with a new voice. What can they do at the trade deadline? Very limited, right? I mean, they have, you know, basically three tradable pieces. When you look at, um, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, who makes $10 million, Kendrick Nunn makes $5 million. And then they have a first round pick way out in 2027 when, you know, hopefully I'm going to be on a, on a rowboat fishing for bass somewhere uh, by then. But, um, but, you know, and then, and then, yeah, okay. Maybe you've got some second round picks. We know they were interested in Cam Reddish from the Hawks before he went to the Knicks and they were throwing around a couple of second rounders. They have the the minimum contracts. I mean, here's one thing the Lakers have an abundance of it's a bunch. It's, it's, it's minimum contracts that are totally disposable because they signed so many guys in the offseason who are not playing and are not contributing. So if they needed to get, you know, up to $5 million or $7 million on, on contracts and then throw in second round picks as sweeteners, you could trade Kent Bazemore, DeAndre Jordan, Wayne Ellington, because those guys aren't contributing right now in the near term. But again, if we're talking about THT, Kendrick Nunn, and then that first down the road, what are you getting back that is actually going to make it um, make it worth it? Because Taylor Horton Tucker, with only a year and a half left on his contract, has more value to the Lakers than anyone else. They're the ones that you know found him, developed him, have some confidence in him, um, have the relationship. I don't know that anybody else values him as highly as the Lakers do, and especially as a $10 million a year player. So it's going to be really hard to, to find an impact player at the deadline for the Lakers. Anybody interested in Russell Westbrook? 
Um, you know, there's, there's always a chance. Uh, you know, one thing I think we've learned in the NBA is that there's, there is no such thing as an untradeable contract, <laughs> but I do think that we are getting very close to the stage where Russ is an untradeable player. Um, the contract on top of the way he plays, the way he changes your system, the way everything becomes about Russ and, and sort of the, the diminishing returns we've seen with him as a player, I think makes him, you know, really, really difficult to move. And, you know, that's kind of why a lot of people were, were so caught so off guard by the Lakers uh, making that investment in the off season, that it was um, a really big swing, but also a really big risk. And when you take that risk, you don't have other cards to play. You have, you have expended your bank account. It's like going all in on, on, on your, you know, on your 16 year olds uh, lemonade stand and realizing nobody's thirsty. It just doesn't, it, it, it hasn't paid off yet. And you know, the Lakers don't have, you know, that next move. Well, okay. If that doesn't work, then how do you adjust? And they don't have that next card to play. So is anyone interested in Russell Westbrook? You know, the Lakers don't have the sweeteners to come off of his contract. They don't have the, you know, the 2022 first and the 2024 first that, you know, a team might want. They don't have, you know, I mean, honestly, the Lakers best trade sweetener right now is probably Austin Reeves, who is their undrafted rookie who is playing really meaningful minutes and has become this real bright spot. You know, if I'm, if I'm a team trying to trade with the Lakers, you know, I'm not just asking for, you know, all the, all the guys who aren't playing who I described earlier, I would also want a guy who can come in and contribute in Austin Reeves. And I, I don't know that the Lakers are going to be able to do that. Why would the Lakers leak this? If you're not going to make a change, like what, what, tell me the game that's played here of getting this information out here. You don't have to tell me who the source is obviously, but you know, they, they wanted this out there. It feels like that fair. Uh, fair. I prefer to think of it as really good reporting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure it is my bad. Uh, so oh. due to the great reporting, this information got out there. Why? Yeah, I think that there's a couple ways of looking at it. Obviously, um, you know, I would I would actually say that Frank Vogel has probably uh, got gotten a boost from the fact that this information has been out there. Not just not to say that that is where, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you sleuth that that is where the, the information is coming <laughs> from. But, it, it, you know, I do think that, you know, the organization has taken a little bit of a hit from the fact that this has been, that this has been uh, reported in the way it's been framed that, um, that, you know, that they are looking to make a change. I think the general reaction is like, like you said, what difference is that going to make and who's going to come in and do a better job? And so I, I think that, um, well, the team didn't even step up last night, Bill. I mean, well, and, that's what was, and that was what was so interesting because we didn't report this until after the jazz game. And there was a lot of pressure, you know, I think there was just a sense of pressure, like a really heavy, you know, the air was really heavy in the crypt uh, on Monday night against the Jazz before the Lakers won that game. But then, um, you know, once it was reported and then there was some follow-up reporting from other outlets kind of on the way the front office was sort of applying pressure on Frank Vogel, you, you, I thought last night was going to be a really interesting measuring stick game to see how the, how the, how the locker room responded. And it looked good in the beginning. I would have argued that, you know, that looked like a team that was, you know, playing for their coach and then it completely disintegrated down the stretch. Uh, LeBron, you know, LeBron started missing shots down the stretch, wasn't getting enough support. Russ wasn't out there. Um, it seemed really disengaged. There seemed to be a lot of chippiness at the end of the game, a lot of saltiness. So, you know, and it's the timing, Dan, is really fascinating because if you were going to make a change, you would have thought it'd be last night because they're about to go on the six game road trip that is going to be brutal. I mean, they've got Orlando tomorrow night, but then after that, 
it's Miami, Brooklyn, Philly, Charlotte, Atlanta. Those are all teams they could lose to. So um, the timing's really tough for them. Well, it's only 8.30 local time. They're, you know. Got I, was told, I was told last night that Frank Vogel was getting on the plane today. So if as, as long as nothing changed between you know, midnight last night and you know, whenever they're taking off for Orlando, 10 a.m. or so, uh, Frank Vogel is going to be coaching the team in Orlando. But it's interesting. I mean, he's on the hot seat you know, as, he, as he loses to Indiana and now going to Orlando. You know, for Frank Vogel, I've got to think that's like the ghosts of firings past. So um, sure, he's hoping to make it through just those, those, uh, those, those bad memories. Is he on the plane coming back, Bill? He will be on a plane coming back. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I do think that, like, I don't want to say that, that he bought time with the, the, the Utah win. I mean, the Utah game was really pivotal. If there had been a, a similar result against the Jazz to what happened two nights earlier against Denver, I think, I think the front office would have felt like they had no other choice. But now, not that the Utah win itself lowered the temperature, but the, the fact that they, they snapped the streak, they got a win against the top Western conference team. Although a team that lost to the Rockets last night has now lost six to seven. Um, I do think that it's sort of kind of popped the balloon in a sense where the Lakers are willing to kind of ride this out a little bit, but it doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean it can't get worse. Uh, although I will say uh, I always, I always refer to the, the, the great Jim Murray's quote, which was there's nothing so bad. It can't be made worse by firing the coach. Bill, thank you. We appreciate your time and uh, have fun on the road trip. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. That's Bill Orem. Done a great job. Great reporting for The Athletic, of course. Had the, uh, had the story about Frank Vogel coaching for his job. He's getting on the plane this morning. We have an exclusive. Getting on the plane this morning. 